All right. Well, there was uh, one season in the men's basketball league here at church that uh, during one of our games, the coach of the team that I was on, I'm not going to say who that coach was, so I don't implicate anybody, about halfway through the game, uh, he called a timeout. He's like, all right, guys, huddle up. He looked at each one of us and said, if you find yourself always wide open for a three, there's a reason the other team is leaving you wide open. They are exploiting you because they know you can't shoot. So if when we're on offense, if you're like, man, nobody ever guards me, this is awesome. There's a reason for that. So please, if you find yourself wide open all the time, don't shoot another three. You're just giving the ball to the other team. I mean, he didn't say anyone's names because he didn't want to, you know, point specific people out, but we all knew who he was talking about. Anyways, I've, I've moved past it. What he wanted to point out was that there was a weakness on our team that the other team was exposing. They saw that that person can't shoot. Let's try to get the ball to them. Our team exposed our weakness. Today, we're going to continue looking at how to walk as children of light. And specifically, we're going to see that we are called to expose sins, especially in other believers. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, this section is titled, Walking as Children of Light, Part 2. Expose them. I want us to read verses 6 through 14 together because this is all one section, and we're going to review what we talked about the past couple weeks because it all flows together and it gives us a context of what we have been learning in this wonderful book. So let's start reading in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful to even speak of the things which were done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you today. As I mentioned, the title of our lesson this evening is Walking as Children of Light, Part 2, Expose Them. As a point of reminder, last time we met, we saw the first three points on what it means to walk as children of light. And remember, when we talk about how you walk, we are talking about the overall pattern of your life. You know, barring any sort of major injury, the way that you walk stays pretty much the same, right? I mean, you can tell who's coming up the stairs by the way that they stomp their feet. Um, in certain surveillance states, they profile what is your walking gait, and they can tell who you are by the way that you walk. So the way that you walk doesn't change. The way that you walk almost defines who you are as a person. In the same way, the way, when we talk about our spiritual walk, we talk about the overall patterns of our lives. So how do we walk as children of light? What are we supposed to be doing 
as children of light. Last week, the first thing we saw was children of light are not to be deceived. And we saw the command that said, let no one deceive you with empty words. The word empty meaning pertaining of being devoid of intellectual, moral, or spiritual value. So because you are children of light, you have such a strong, unshakable foundational knowledge of what it means to be a Christian, and your life reflects that, so that when people do come and try to deceive you, you are not able to be deceived. Your knowledge of Scripture is so solid that you cannot be deceived by empty or false teaching. Why don't you let people deceive you? Well, the reasoning, back in verse 6, because of the things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So because of the evil things that we have seen in previous weeks, immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, and idolatry, so all the things that we've seen in the beginning part of Ephesians chapter 5, these things will cause the wrath of God to come upon you because your life's pattern is one of disobedience. And you may be thinking, okay, the wrath of God is not that big of a deal. If you look at a majority of the most successful people in our world, I'd say most of them are not God-fearing. That would probably be a safe assumption to say. So you look at them and they're like, well, I mean, they don't fear God. They don't really care about the things of the Lord, and they're successful. They're happy. They have everything they want. That's a very temporal way to think about it. If when you leave this life, you come face to face with God, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you will spend eternity agonizing over tonight, over this very night, because tonight you will hear the gospel presented to you. The grace of God is being extended to you. The free gift of salvation is ready for you to be received. All you have to do is humble yourself before God, trust in him, repent of your sins, and follow hard after him. When the wrath of God is being poured out on you, you will spend eternity away from fellowship with Jesus away from the perfection of God, away from the peace that only God can bring. That is the wrath of God. Secondly, we saw that children of light aren't to be partakers of darkness. Children of light aren't to be partakers with darkness. And we saw another command in verse 7, therefore do not be partakers with them. So what does it mean to be a partaker? Well, it's someone that's intertwined with the actions of the group that you are with. If you're a believer here tonight, you spend your time filling your mind with holiness. You long to grow into the, in your walk with the Lord. And therefore, the people that you choose to spend your time with should also have those same goals. Because you are partakers with them. You all are partaking in the same values. But in the same manner, if you don't care about the things of the Lord, if you care more about your selfishness, if you care more about your sin you will be marked as someone who only partakes in darkness. You may be, do a couple of good things, but they're just worthless. They're empty, filthy, dirty rags in the sight of God. The overall pattern of your life is full of sin, and you're still a slave to it. So why shouldn't we be partakers with those that participate in darkness? Well, we'll get another reasoning. Verse 8, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is the new self, right? The old self is dead. The new person has come. 
So if your old life is dead, why would you want to be associated with that person anymore? Once you become a believer, you understand the gravity of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You recognize how terrible your sin is in the eyes of God. And because of that, you want nothing to do with it. You know that your life is still going to have sin in it. You will still sin. You will still stumble. But your life will be marked by growth, by progress, by wanting to turn away from that old self. You will be acting more and more as a child of the light. You used to be enslaved to sin, unable to break its bonds. But now, because of the blood of Christ, you are a child of light. Verses 9 and 10 show us that children of light try to please their father. Children of light try to please their father. Let's read those, verses 9 and 10. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And again, to summarize, we saw another command. The command overall is to what? To walk in the light, to walk as a child of the light. And instead of a reason, we get a clarification. So instead of walking in darkness, the fruit of our lives are to be goodness, meaning having a good, um, a positive moral quality or having a positive interest in the welfare of others. So goodness, I want to see other people succeed. I want to see other people happy to do well, to do good in their lives. Righteousness, we're to have a high quality of upright behavior. So when people look at you, they're like, man, that person does well. They are honest. They care about others. That person is morally upstanding. And finally, truth, that our lives are in accord in lockstep with that which is true, meaning our lives reflect what is commanded in Scripture. One thing to mention, if you are a Christian here tonight, your life will produce fruits. You know, sometimes that fruit may be, you know, tiny and shriveled, and, you know, you have to, like, pull, uh, pull out a microscope and be like, Technically, that's a fruit, but it's still a fruit. You know, I, I used to have some rose bushes in my front yard. The key word there is I used to have some rose bushes in my front yard. I'm not someone who knows or someone who cares to learn about taking care of a garden. I'm terrible at that. If it was up to me, I would just put turf all over my front and backyard so I'd never have to mow it. And then I could put yard markers on it and it'd be really fun. So if it was up to me, that's what I would do. But I used to have some rose bushes in my front yard, and uh, because I never took care of them, um, it, they were overgrown and had huge thorns. But every once in a while, this tiny little rose would poke through. And why would it do that? I mean, technically, it was still a living rose bush, right? And it got watered by the sprinklers, by the rain. And so because it was still a living rose bush, it still produced roses. That is until I paid David and Daniel to tear them out and we killed them. So if you are a Christian, you will produce good fruit. The fruit of godliness will be in your life. And that fruit may be small because you're either a new believer or you've been a believer for a long time, but you've strayed away a little bit. You're not reading as consistently as you should be. You're not attending. You're not fellowshipping with believers. You're not practicing the essentials of worship, service, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, and Bible study as you know you ought to. But consider your life right now. Just take a mental note of your life. Do you see any fruit of the Spirit in your life? Do you see any growth 
in your life? Do you see a desire to pursue after the things of God? If you're struggling to think of something that, you know, you care about spiritually, if you're struggling to answer that question positively, it probably means you aren't saved. It probably means that you haven't repented of your sins. Finally, we saw the results. The result of all this is that you will try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord in verse 10, meaning because of your desire to please God, because you are a child of light, you're going to study the Bible. You're going to fill your mind with things above. As we come to our passage tonight, starting in verse 11, the fourth way that we're to act as children of light is children of light expose the darkness. Children of light expose the darkness. The first thing, we have three subpoints tonight. The first one is the command, beginning in verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. The command is the exact opposite of what we just talked about. We just talked about showing fruit of the Spirit, right? Having your life marked by goodness, righteousness, truth. This command is the exact opposite of that. What are the unfruitful deeds of darkness? Well, we already, we've already talked about them in verses 3 through 5. Immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, idolatry, things of that nature. And you may be asking yourself, okay, I know I'm not supposed to participate in these things, but the world is completely full of those things. How can I be in the world and not participate in those things? Well, it's actually pretty easy. You have to go out into the world, but you do not have to participate in those evil deeds. Once again, your life is to be marked by holiness, not darkness. There's always a challenge with ministry when it comes to, you know, I'll say the quote-unquote Christian denomination on how to draw people, especially the young people, into the church. I mean, I've seen churches do things like, hey, if you come to our Wednesday night service, we'll raffle off a pair of dunks. So come on, you can win some new shoes. Um, there's been other churches that their pastor will intentionally use foul language to be like, hey, I'm cool, I'm hip, I, you know, I talk like the world, it's just words, it doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about here. In this passage, we see that that is still part of unfruitful deeds of darkness. In fact, Paul gives this challenge to the Corinthian church. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're commanded here to not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And this isn't the first time that Paul brings it up to a church. 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. So Paul here means not to associate. As we go through these verses, Paul isn't saying don't associate with immoral people outside the church. Paul is saying if there are people in your church who claim to be believers yet their lives are marked by sinfulness, the pattern of their lives is sin, then those are the people that you're not to associate with. Verse 10, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. Paul clarifies that as believers, we're not supposed to be hermits. 
We're not supposed to, you know, go inside our house and lock the doors because there's scary sinners out there. And I don't want to be associated with sin. So I'm not even going to, you know, go out into the world. If you want it to be, if you don't want to associate with the world, you'd have to leave the world. That's what Paul says here. Verse 11. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such as one. Once again, this disassociation has to do with people who are in the church, who are living in blatant, obvious sin. Verse 12, but what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. The command back in verse 11 is a simple one. We as Christians are to be producing good fruit. And because of that good fruit, we are to have nothing to do with the aforementioned sins of darkness. Paul then moves into the commission, which we're, we're going to spend most of our time tonight. Subpoint two, the commission. So now that we've cleared up that we're not to be known as people who participate in darkness, what are we to do? Well, let's look at verse 11, start halfway through. But instead, even expose them. For it is disgraceful to even speak the things which are done by them in secret. Our jobs as Christians is not only to not participate in sin, in darkness, but our job as Christians is to expose that sin, especially in the lives of of believers. Our job is to bring the sin to light. Think about it this way. Let's say the lights went out in the building right now, right? And I had a flashlight and I know the breakers in the back cave, right? So if I turned the light on and just shown it straight up, is that helpful for me getting into the back cave? I mean, kind of, right? I mean, the, it's pitch black in here. I turn one flashlight on and the light's going to dissipate and I will be able to kind of make my way through. I might crash into some chairs, might, you know, not be able to see as well in there. But what if I took my flashlight and I pointed it down? I'm like, right, I don't want to trip over these chairs. I want to look into the breaker box. I want to see which breaker switch. Would that be a more effective way for me to use my light? Yeah, absolutely. It's the same way with our spiritual lives. We aren't to just live in holiness. We're to be intentional with our light and calling out sin and bringing it to light. We are to expose sin. And the exposure of the sin is done in two ways. There's two ways that you can expose sin. Indirectly and directly. The indirect exposure of sin is by living your life in a godly manner. If you do that, those who are in constant sin will notice and they're going to act differently when you come around. How many of you have unbelieving friends that you know, you see them all talking together and they're all joking and laughing and you show up and like, hey, what are we talking about? And all of a sudden they're like, hey, how's church going? And you see that sky today? Talk about blue. Have y'all ever experienced that? Because people know that you're a Christian and you don't talk in certain ways. You don't talk about certain things. The conversation all of a sudden changes. It was really interesting because uh, I got to experience, experience that during the beginning of uh, lockdown a couple years ago. All of our neighbors would be outside, and 
most of the time there was alcohol being consumed. And because we have kids similar, similar ages as, as them, we'd go out and, you know, talk to them and hang out. And eventually they found out that Hannah and I went to church. And so pretty much every time we'd come out, it's like, psh, quiet. Hey, oh, so you guys go to church, right? Oh, cool, yeah, we used to go to church. All right, cool. And eventually, like, we would talk a little bit about, you know, kids and whatever it may be. But eventually a new circle would form and they would kind of continue their own discussion. You as a Christian, just by not participating in darkness, will hold up a mirror and convict people of their sin. The lawyers experienced this in Jesus' time in Luke chapter 11. So in Luke 11, Jesus starts condemning the Pharisees in verse 39. And he, you know, he tears into them. He's like, you brood of vipers. You guys are whitewashed tombs. You guys are hypocrites. And in verse 45, it says one of the lawyers in attendance, he hears what he's saying. So the lawyer hears what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. And he says in verse 45, teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. (laughs) The lawyer's conscience was pricked. And because Jesus was saying things, about the Pharisees that were true about him. And since Jesus' rebukes were rated E for everyone, he agrees and tears into him as well. He was like, all right, you're right. You are terrible. And then he takes like four more verses and just tears him a new one. So it's, uh, it was pretty funny. But that guy's conscience was pricked. He realized that, man, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees. That's my life. Jesus wasn't even talking to him. We are to expose sin by the way that we live our lives. Some of you hear that and you're like, yes, I never have to talk to anyone about the gospel because if I just don't do the, right, the wrong things, then that's just like sharing the gospel, right? No, wrong. Remember, there's two ways to share the gospel. Indirectly, so yes, by living a life of holiness, but also directly, you're to expose sin directly. And guess what that means? You actually have to talk to people face to face. Is this a hard thing to do? Absolutely. Because if we talk to other people about their sin, it means that we need to have our own lives in order, right? Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. So most people stop there, right? Most people say, oh, well, Jesus says that you can't judge me. It's like, all right, well, that's, first of all, terrible understanding of Scripture because it's not at all what Jesus is saying. Verse 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. If you are confronting people of your sin, know that you are holding yourself to that same standard. If you're doing this, you need to make sure that you fight against legalism as well. You can't go up to someone and say, hey, here are my standards, what I hold myself to. It's outside of the Bible, but this is just what helps me. You need to do that as well. Be careful that you don't do that. But when you're confronting sin, you are holding yourself accountable to the same standards that you're telling people. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly and take the speck out of your brother's eye. Before you confront other people of their sin, you need to make sure that your life is in order. But will your life, will my life ever be good enough? No, we will always have sin in our lives. But this is not an excuse for you to not confront people of their sin. As Christians, our desire should be that all believers walk in a manner that is honoring to God and that we see our brothers and sisters in Christ producing good fruit. A couple of guidelines on how to confront sin In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us that love doesn't act unbecomingly. And I know all of you know what that means, but for the people on the live stream and people listening to the recording, I'll I'll explain it for them. So whenever you're not to act unbecomingly, that means you're not to act rudely. If I go up and confront a brother in Christ of his sin, I do it because I want to see him grow in his walk with Christ. I want to see him exalting the Lord Jesus Christ through the way that he works. I don't go to him with a prideful attitude of like, dude, you're wrong. You're such a terrible Christian. I can't believe you. No, you don't go up and do it with a rude attitude. You do it because you want to see Christ exalted. Practically, here is a way that you can do this, especially with someone who claims to be a believer. So if you see one of your friends in sin, that person claims to be a believer, you can go up to him and say, all right, You know, do you believe in God? Well, yeah. Okay, good. Establish a baseline. Do you believe the Bible is true? Yes, I go to church. Okay, good. We understand those things. Do you believe that God calls us to obey the Bible? Sure. Yes. These are easy questions. All right. Then you tell your friend. So based on these things, Scripture tells us that we ought to be living this way. And I see that your life isn't matching up to that. That is a way that you can clarify, come to them with an attitude of love and say, here's where you were sinning. You need to repent and I want to help you. When talking about sharing the gospel to unbelievers, John MacArthur said that you've got to make people feel rotten, then make them feel good. They've got to feel bad so they know that they need to feel good. This is going to be a tough conversation. If you're talking to unbelievers about sin, that is never fun, especially if they're your friends. It's possible that you could lose a few friendships over this, but you know what? It doesn't matter. What matters more is their salvation. What matters more is the exaltation of God. And your friends, the people you share the gospel with, unbelievers need to understand their hopelessness. And if they feel bad about it, good. They should. They should realize that they are in desperate need of a savior because then it, they see their hopelessness and they, before they can experience true joy and peace. So we're to confront sin indirectly by the way that we live our lives, directly by actually talking to people. And there's usually two ways why Christians don't do this. There's usually a couple ways why people don't confront sin. The first way is because they don't take sin seriously. They see people in blatant sin and, you know, they excuse it because, well, you know, that's between them and God. Like, it's not me doing that sin, so that's, you know, 
that's something that I don't need to be doing. And you know what? It, it's, it's up to them. They're neutral to that sin. You know, you don't participate in making those crass jokes. You know, but you might chuckle underneath your breath about them. To them, sin is not that serious. That's the first reason why people don't confront others of their sin. The other reason people don't call it sin is because they're lazy with their own spiritual life. And I think that's more in line of where we would probably fall. You know that if you confront someone else of their sin, what's a first natural reaction for people to do? It's natural for people to act defensive, right? Come to me. Well, what about you? You tell me I'm, I'm in sin. Well, you're in sin. You're living like this. And that's why we don't want to do that. You know, over the past couple of months, we've actually been collecting some data from your parents. And we asked them where you guys have been struggling in your sin. So um, to kind of help keep everyone accountable, we're going to share a few of those. So starting with Dale's group, um, Andrew, your parents said that you, sh- I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. I think I saw a couple of you like get your Bibles and like start to run out. I'm just kidding. In all seriousness, we need to love God so much that we have the same hatred for sin that he has. And we need to do everything that we can to root out sin in our own lives, but in the lives of our fellow believers as well, because we want to see people glorifying God. Go back to Ephesians 5 verse 12. Paul goes on to say, For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. When you're confronting sin, it's not necessarily appropriate to, you know, go into extreme details of what that sin is. Like, it would be very inappropriate for me to be like, all right, uh, I have a PowerPoint here, and here's a list of all the bad words you shouldn't say, or here's a list of websites you should not go to, because that would not be helpful to anyone. Because for some of you, you'd be like, wow, I didn't know I couldn't say that, or I didn't know that was an option for me. It's just, that is not an appropriate thing to do. When you're confronting sin, it's not appropriate to go into those extreme examples. As a safeguard, Paul says, you know what? When you're doing it, don't even talk about the things that are done in secret. The better approach when exposing sin is in verse 13. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Instead of focusing on the sin itself, bring that sin to light by shining the light of the truth, the light of the Bible, the light of the gospel and holiness on it. I read in a couple commentaries that in a lot of Middle Eastern cities, uh, a lot of shops don't have windows on them because they're so close together. They have awnings over them because it's so hot. And so what some merchants will try to do is that they'll try to sell you a, a cheap product because you're in this dark store. And so what people do is that they take it outside of the store and they look at it in the light to make sure that what they're going to buy is worth it, that it is actually valuable, that it is what they're actually trying to buy. That right there is our jobs as believers. We are to go into the world and expose sin by bringing it to the light. Now, this doesn't mean that as soon as we leave here tonight that you're going to hop on your phone and become a keyword warrior and you're going to be like the online Batman trying to root out sin out of the internet because guess what? You're never going to do that. A more effective way for you to do that is to talk to people face to face. Our commission is to expose sin and bring it to the light of the truth. 
Finally, Paul gives us the call. Verse 14. For this reason it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul here quotes a bit from Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, which says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So who is the, the Lord that Isaiah is talking about? He's talking about Jesus, right? So Isaiah is looking forward to the hope that Jesus has. And Paul is looking back to the work that Jesus did already do on the cross. And fun fact about this verse. In your Bible, does this verse, is it like indented and by itself? Kind of like it would be in Psalms? Yeah. So this isn't actually taken from Isaiah 60 directly. Um, some commentators say that it's pulled from a song that early Christians would sing around Easter time. And I don't know, I thought that was neat. You know, sometimes we use modern day hymns, we use spiritual songs as examples during lesson. And that's the same thing that Paul was doing here. The call that Paul gives us is an invitation for salvation. He calls people to salvation. If you look at this verse, this song, Awake sleeper, who is the one that is asleep? Who is the one that is dead? The unbeliever, right? They're dead in their sin. We see the problem of sin. You're dead. You're asleep. You need to be awakened to the reality that you are hopelessly lost and held captive to your sin. And how are people made aware of the predicament that they're in? What's well, by us telling them about it, right? Who needs to tell them about their need for a savior? Us. Christians, Romans chapter 10, how will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? It's our duty as Christians to tell those who are lost for their need for a savior, to show them that they are dead in their sins. That's not the only thing we need to tell them, right? When we're sharing the gospel, when we're confronting unbelievers of their sin, it's not just, you're a sinner, you're terrible. What else? What's the other side of that coin? But God loves you. God is extending the free gift of salvation for you. And God will gladly accept you because of his grace, because of Christ's work on the cross into your family. So what's our application for tonight? Three things. First, ask yourself, do I participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness? Is the overall pattern of your life one of selfishness, one of sin, one of wanting to cling to what you want to do? What does the overall pattern of your life look like? Secondly, expose sin. Expose sin. Before you do it, though, make sure that your life is right before the Lord. Now, I'm not asking you to be perfect because that's impossible. But make sure that when you're exposing sin in others that you have the right attitude, the right motivations in exposing that sin. And don't use your imperfection as an excuse to not obey the Lord's command to root out sin, especially in the church and in the world. Finally, share the gospel. Share the gospel. Unbelievers are dead in their sin. They are asleep. They are dead. Share the gospel with them so that Christ's love will shine on them as well. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We're thankful that because of the work that Jesus did, you look on us with favor. And God, this is a hard command. This is something that 
might ruin relationships. This is a command that is not easy to accomplish, but I pray that you would give us boldness. Help us to, first of all, root out sin in our own lives so that when others look at us, they will be convicted of their sin, so that when we talk to people about sin, we will be above reproach. God, give us boldness. Help us to stay in the Word so that we can know what to say. Help us to be diligent in studying your Word and committing it to memory so that our lives would be pure and so that we can point others to you. We thank you and we love you in your name. Amen.